Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. sermon series um, called The Church Just Wants My Money, and this is our fourth week, another one of Jesus's many teachings about money. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will will pull down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. (laughs) This very night, your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This is the word of God for us, the people of God today. So um, the question today that this gospel reading um, puts forth, is there actually an actual gospel for those with money? Is the gospel for the rich? When I was a high school teacher, A wise colleague of mine was known for saying, there are always three answers to every question. Yes, no, and maybe. And the answer is nearly always maybe. 
And so is there a gospel for the rich? And when I say rich, I mean us. I hope you know when, I, we, say, when we say rich here at Kingstown or if we, say, if, if we speak of being rich in this space, um, Jesus l- largely was not talking about the 1%. He's talking about those with the ability to live in, in an economy like this, in a, in a place like this, like DC Metro, the ability to live um, here. The ones that actually have money who make it and have the ability to not just pay for the basic needs of their life, like housing and food and clothing, but those who have other income beyond the ability to pay for housing and food and clothing. So when we say rich, maybe think more middle class. Or in DC Metro, upper middle class. Is there a gospel for the rich? So is there. And the answer in the New Testament today seems to be that third answer, maybe. Maybe there is. To say no would imply there's something inherently dirty about money. It would imply that the root of all evil is money. That money is the root of all evil, and it suggests that every cent that the rich have is taken directly out of the pockets of the poor. It seems to represent a a kind of anger that that assumes what God really wants is for everyone to be destitute and miserable. That would be no. To say yes, yes, there is a, a gospel for the rich is to ignore the many, many, many verses and pages in the gospels condemning the rich, especially in Luke. And so it's easier, it says it's easier for a a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. No one can serve both God and money, it says. And then here in Luke 12, we have a parable in which a man with means, somebody with money says to himself, what shall I do? For I have no place to store all of my wealth. I'll pull down my barns and I will build bigger ones so that I can, I can store it all. And God calls him an idiot and takes his life that very night. And so the answer to my question, is there a gospel for those of us with money, has to be maybe. And so today I would like to explore some of the questions raised by this maybe. So let's, let's go on a journey together. Let's start with this parable. The things that this rich man gets wrong are many, but it also, it sets the agenda for all of our thinking about money and its pitfalls. First of all, the rich, the rich man forgets God. That's the first thing. He forgets God because he assumes that all of his wealth belongs to him and that he, he will possess it in indefinitely. It turns out, though, that his wealth is, in fact, on loan from God and that God can take it back at any moment that God wants, then this is this slap in the face to any view of society that prizes private property. Notice how the rich man likes the word my all throughout this, my crops, 
my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul, he even talks about my soul, he says, all in the space of just a couple of verses. But the parable makes it clear that all these things are God's all along, and the rich man only ever has them out on loan. Abundance turns to greed, then, the moment the rich man forgets that everything he has belongs all along to God. And then the second thing the rich man forgets is anyone else but himself. Instead of pausing at the point when he has more than he could possibly ever need and wondering who else, where else, and what else might welcome a little bit more, he presses on and he and he builds bigger barns. And it turns out that the conversations he should have been having with his friends and his neighbors, the wise and the needy, he is in fact only having with himself. Did you hear hear it? It said, he thought to himself, said the parable. And then again, he said to himself, said the parable. Abundance turns to greed the moment the rich man assumes that all that he has, all of his wealth exists to insulate himself from all, all other people, rather than draw him closer to them. This parable shows us what greed is. At the very heart, greed strives for more without ever asking, what is this more even for? Greed is so dazzled by the potential of what money can do that it, it is content to accumulate over and over without ever investing anything at all. Greed stops seeing money as a means to an end and instead starts to see money as an end in itself. And so is it wrong to be rich? Is it wrong to have means? This, this parable doesn't say so, but it, it does offer a very straightforward account of how difficult it is to have money and be faithful. And the reason it's so hard to be rich and to be faithful is that money inclines us to forget about God and to forget about other people. Let's start with God. When you have a lot of money, (laughs) the assumption is easy to make that that money can solve pretty much all of my irritations and frustrations in life. Don't like vacuuming? Pay someone to vacuum for you. Think your children could get a better education than what's offered? Pay someone for that education. Not impressed with your health care? Pay for a second option in your health care. Find long journeys? Tedious? Buy a nice car with with a great stereo, or even better, acquire a private jet. It begins to seem like there's nothing money can't buy then, right? Except, of course, the things that really matter. There's nothing wrong with being rich so long as you remember that the things that really matter can't can't be bought with money. Money can't buy eternal life. Money can't buy the forgiveness of sins. Money can't buy the faith that moves mountains. Money can't buy the hope that, that walks in rhythm with God's step in the world. Money can't buy that love that will never let you go that we sing about. These are the things that everyone can have, but no one can buy. And the poor 
are uniquely blessed because on the whole, they know this. Those with money can sometimes forget it. And then when it comes to other people, wealth can have this poisoning effect. If you have no possessions, other people are all that you have, right? If you have nothing, all you have are your people and you're well advised to keep them in your life and to keep them on good terms with you because you know you're going to need them one day. Immediately, anytime anything goes wrong, you're going to need them. But if you have money, if you have property and great possessions, other people can quickly stop becoming potential friends and, on the, and, and become potential threats and enemies who could rob or steal what you have. Instead of looking at friends with hope, you start to look at strangers with fear. Quickly, you start to defend your home and your property with alarms and fences and dogs. And you find you can't trust anybody because everyone you meet wants something from you. And you get further and you get further and you get further away from real human contact with people who you you pay to make your life better and more comfortable and it gets harder and it gets harder and it gets harder to make genuine relationships and friendships with them or indeed anybody. And so of course you find it difficult to imagine sharing your surplus income with anyone else because you've avoided getting to know personally anyone who could in any way represent a threat to your insulated, well-to-do life. This is how money can make you forget about God and, and make you live in this fantasy of your own immortality. And meanwhile, wealth can make you forget about other people and live in this prison of your own self-sufficiency, right? This is exactly what Jesus is striving to save us from. And he does it so bluntly today when he calls this rich man a fool and an idiot. And so, yeah, there's a lot of bad news in the Bible for the rich. (laughs) A lot of bad news for the rich in this parable. It's not just bad news, though, I promise. It's not, it's, it's bad news And we hear bad news in the Bible in the hereafter, bad news in the here and now for the rich. But but what is the good news then? Is there a gospel for those of us with money? Maybe there is. But to find it, we need to ask some, some searching and pretty fundamental questions. And the and the key question is this. What is money for? What is it for? The rich man in the parable thought money was for accumulating and for enjoying. There's this interesting Greek word in here for enjoying. It's euphoria. The rich man thought money was for euphoria. But money is, is for something else. Money is, is this mechanism by which human societies translate labor into other things. Money is of no value in itself, right? It only becomes of value when it's translated into other things. And the word we use for this translation is investment. We usually use this word investment for any method of accumulating wealth. 
any way we devise to, to increase our own money, we tend to call an investment. But I want us to think for a moment of the word investment as referring to not just how we make money, but to every single use to which we put our money. I think this is the way Jesus uses it. In other words, I, I'm, break down the conventional distinction between money we keep and money we give away. Break that down, get rid of that. And instead, suggest that we think of the various things we do with money as different kinds of investment. Leaving aside what we need to eat, remember I talked about we are generally people in this area who can feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, house ourselves, and still have more money left after that, right? Leaving aside what we need to eat and to clothe and to shelter ourselves and those we love in our house, there are only about five things, five things that we can do with any money that we have left over. And so I'm gonna, let's run through these and show the difference in how to think about these between investment and accumulation. And, and then maybe offer a gospel for the rich by suggesting what it might mean for us to become rich towards God. So the first thing we can do with our money, you have heard it said, Jesus said, give all your money to the poor. Sell your possessions and give all your money to the poor. Um, to give money away to individuals is, is, is our, our, our first option, right? We could give our money away to an individual or to individuals. Somehow when we hear Jesus telling the rich man to do this, we, we imagine some kind of random distribution of fat wads of cash to people on the street. Giving large sums of money is an option. It's one of the options, giving large sums of money to individuals, but it's generally a very poor investment. Because people who are poor, money isn't the only, only problem. And a sudden influx in unearned cash often can do more harm than good if it does not come with relationship. And it becomes another way to distance ourselves from those who have less. It can distance ourselves so much that we think we are the ones who give the wad of cash and they are the ones to receive it. Without relationship and appropriate human understanding, it's not a great investment, but it is one option. The gospel for the rich does not mean an unthinking giving away of cash to individuals. Second thing we could do with our money is to give money to institutions that are established and governed in such a way that they have time-honored record of turning money into real human value and having relationship with people who need it. Sometimes in education and health, in the practice and sharing of faith, like here, we are in relationship with the poor in spirit. That's what we do here, right? And so giving to this place would be to invest in the giving to those who are poor in spirit. You can give to the arts. You can give to a host of other forms. But 
Second option for those of us who have money beyond what we eat and clothes and, and, and house is to give money to institutions that actually have a relationship with these people. The best of these institutions have a close eye for how their work genuinely benefits those who they are to serve as poor, the poor in spirit, the poor in health, the poor in, in education, the poor, those who are lacking in some way, but are full in many other ways for us to learn from. This is one of the finest things that we can do with our money as people who have a little bit more in order not to build bigger barns, right? But to become rich towards God. The third way we could use our money that's beyond what we eat and clothe and, 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 uh, and, and have a house over our heads is we could, it's somewhat controversial thing, we, but we must do with our money is to yield much of it up to local and national governments, right? That's an option. There's a third option. We yield it up to governments in taxes. The government is an institution or an aggregate of institutions designed, among other things, to turn money into human value. It's a main difference from institutions previously mentioned, like churches and, and, and um, education and arts and all of that. It, it's a relatively small degree of choice you have to do that, right? It's a different kind of institution. We get, um, but, we, but it, needs, it needs to be said that, that paying taxes is an honorable thing to use our money for, right? That, that an important part of being rich is about paying a lot of tax. <laughs> and that paying a lot of tax is something to be proud of and not something to, to avoid at all costs through loopholes, right? Taxes are a way of making sure surplus money is invested in public good rather than accumulated for private gain. And then four, fourth way we could use our money, we may do it with money we establish more conventional investments such as stocks and shares. While this is a very common way to store up treasure for ourselves, um, it is very risky to become rich towards God, precisely because of the temptation to accumulate and for forever postpone the moment when wealth is translated into genuine human value, if that's what wealth is for, right? So it can become risky. However, there are two exceptions to this risk. One is to become an active stakeholder, agitating for companies you partly own or to embody like best practices in the world. We can do that in this way. That is a wonderful way to use our wealth through best practice in their production, best practice in marketing and employment and environmental impact and in it in all appropriate ways to exercise their corporate power for the wider social good. It's a way to use our money, number four, to do good in the world and to translate it into actual human value. I believe it's almost a duty for those who, who are rich to seek to influence the business world for good in a way. That's a good way to use your money. A second exception that, I can, that can make conventional investors rich towards God is to allow 
their capital to be used for social good too. A community development finance initiatives of which there are several notable like examples in our area of Alexander, right, Alexandria right here. They operate like, like banks, like market level interest rates, but, but they, they use their capital to loan money to enable people on low incomes to buy property to start up their own enterprises. Those are good ways to use your money. And then the fifth and final use of money is to acquire property and possessions, right? And so we are back to our rich man. Our rich man who, who had bigger barns and bigger barns. It's amazing how many rich people live actually very simply, whether out of um, distaste <laughs> uh, for ostentation or, or, or to be free of maybe the prison of possessions that they have known to have in the past or to avoid facing the visible manifestation of their own wealth, maybe that's it. Um, but, but people can live very simply and be rich. If one is to become rich towards God, it's important that such simple living doesn't become the, the miserliness of, of straightforward denial. If, if there's no doubt that that great temptation lies in accumulating property and possessions, to address such temptation is to ask yourself the following kinds of questions. Like, how reluctant am I to lend my possessions to others? And am I constantly looking out for ways in which others can benefit and enjoy what I own? Or are my possessions a wall that insulates me from the strange and dangerous outside world? Does my enjoyment and my flourishing and my entertainment coincide with the joy of others? Does it take advantage of others? Or does it come at others' expense? Does my wealth make me and others free? Or does it make me and others prisoner? Do I fundamentally want the things that everyone else can have access to in this world? Or do I want way more than what everyone else can have? Am I prepared to allow others to free me from self-deception by sharing the truth about my financial situation with members of my church or asking their prayers and guidance in my life? Or would that make me feel really, really uncomfortable? These are all great questions. Five ways that we could put our money various places. Did you hear me say that the only, there is not just good in giving to the church. <laughs> there are so many wonderful ways to invest our money, but money is not for, and Jesus spoke decidedly against money being for accumulation and enjoyment. It was always for the translation into personal value with people personal value. So how, that's, that's our question today. That's what Jesus poses. It's probably the most difficult lesson from Jesus in scripture. But Jesus says, where your treasure is, how it is used, how it's translated into personal value, relational value, um, that is where your heart is. Would you pray with me? 
God, we want to follow you. And when you told the rich man, the upper middle class man, hey, come and follow me, sell your possessions and give them to the poor, we create distance between ourselves and that command when all we think of is wads of cash given to individuals on the street. We create distance between ourselves and that command because we say, well, that's not what Jesus really meant, but we never really ask ourselves, what did Jesus mean then? As people who generally can support ourselves and have way more than just what we, our house, and our food and our clothing, those who can put money towards other places, we, God, long for us to, for you to teach us what it looks like to follow you in, in money becoming translated into human value. Not accumulated, not insulatedly enjoyed but translated in human value is where, where you say, beloved, find a, find a seat at my table. Beloved, go into, into the kingdom that has been built for just this. Beloved, this is eternal life. We we want God to know that in this world that all the treasures you have, have given us and, and are, we, want you to, we want you to say to us, well done, well done, steward. And so God, teach us how. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray a prayer that was so deeply about human value and investment. We pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In the crushing in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now surrender, you are making new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be.
Jesus, bring new wine. 